please. Let's take our Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs 15. And I'm going to kind of piggyback on Brother Bradshaw's message. Can I move this? Is that all right? If I bend it out the way, I don't want to break it. I might touch my iPad. Subject of joy. I was so afraid Brother Bradshaw would get on my territory there, but it's really not my territory, is it? But uh, verse number 13, look at that with me in Proverbs 15. For the Bible says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. All right, and then verse number 15 where Solomon writes under inspiration, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And these two verses really kind of combine to communicate uh, this wisdom from the book of Proverbs, and it is the wisdom of joy. All right, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you so much, God, for your word. We're so grateful, Lord, that it has the answers, it has the wisdom that we need. And God, we confess that as the days grow longer, we certainly need your wisdom. I pray, God, that now you'd help our hearts to be open, receptive to the very word of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> Simon Worrell was a writer for National Geographic magazine, and he wrote an article on hermits in America. Homeless people, we might know them like that. This is maybe even a subsection of the homeless people in America. He said that all hermits in America could be classified by three ways. First of all, there are protesters. They move away from society because they just hate the world and everybody in it, protesters. He said, secondly, there are pilgrims, people that sequester themselves away for so-called spiritual reasons, and then there are pursuers, people that are trying to find themselves. And in the article, he wrote about a young man named Christopher Knight, who was 20, when he was 20 years old, he got in his car, he left the state of Massachusetts, and he drove to southern Maine, to an area called the North Pond region. He parked his car, left the keys inside of it as a 20-year-old man, and he walked into the woods, and he stayed in those woods for 27 years and only had contact with one person, and that was a hiker that had gotten lost, saw him in the woods, and he said hi to them after they had said hi to him. So for 27 years... Christopher Knight had no contact with anyone. You see, as a 20-year-old young man, he later on said that the pressures of life had gotten to him and different things had come and in, came into him, and that was his response, so to speak, to the unfavorable circumstances in his life. He said he came to a tipping point, and he felt like he only had one option, and for him that option was to go off into the woods. Now Simon Worrell, the writer for National Geographic, later on said, you know, when I'm driving in my car and I'm in New York City traffic, I'm late for a meeting, I've got a deadline that I'm late for, and I've got my three children in the back seat and all of them are crying, I think to myself, you know, the woods would be pretty nice right about now. <laughs> Maybe not for 27 years. 
You know, the fact is that uh, there are at least three things that are too true about unfavorable circumstances in our lives. First of all, the unfavorable circumstances that come into our lives, for all of us, they are different. What, might be, what is my struggle might not be your struggle. Isn't that so? And what is your struggle, I might look at and say, well, friend, that's just an easy-peasy lemon-squeezy. Our struggles will be different, and yet they are struggles. They are circumstances that come into our lives. That's first of all true. Secondly, that we will respond to them in some way. The things that God brings into our life, and I think obviously we have to recognize that uh, God does bring those things into our lives. We're not just left up to happenstance that there is a sovereign, almighty God that cares about us as his children and only ever has our good, uh, has our good uh, in mind when he brings those things into our lives. We will respond to them in some way. And then thirdly, that God has a specific way that he wants us to respond to those unfavorable circumstances no matter what they may be. And I propose to you this morning that that way that God wants us to respond could be summed up in one word, and it is the word joy, with joy, with joy. The right response is joy. You know, we will respond, and our response is important because we are responsible to God for the response that we have. And our response affects our family as pastors, as preachers. Our response affects our family. It, it, it affects our friends as well in the ministry, and it affects the church that God has given us to pastor as well. It affects people. We don't respond to the events of life in a vacuum. It has an effect on other people. Something to consider. You know, I can't imagine the unfavorable circumstances that a king might face. Uh, I'll be quite honest with you. I pastor a church about 130 people on a good Sunday morning, and that's just about all I can handle sometimes. I can't even begin to fathom what it would be like to be a king over a nation like the nation of Israel, and to know that the decisions that I make because of these circumstances that have come in my life are going to affect vast multitudes of people, that they are watching their king, and how I respond to that is going to have an impact on them. I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, I think if we could sum up the word stress, certainly that would be what it would be. That is a very stressful circumstance there. What pressure is on him... And so Solomon, as a king, under inspiration, writing to what I like to call sons and subjects and servants, writing to the people of Israel and maybe having specific intent for his sons, he's trying to prepare them for those decisions, trying to prepare them for life. And he's giving them the counsel by God's direction that when those unfavorable circumstances come into your life, here's a, here's a tack to take, here's a frame of mind to have, and that is to respond to those things with joy because it matters to God. Because it matters to God, it ought to matter to you. Notice with me in verse number 13. We'll look at verse 13, the first part, and then verse 15, the last part. That the decision for joy is a matter of our heart that affects both our face and our focus in life. All right? Verse number. Now we know that verse 13 and verse 15 both of all. Uh, you know, circumstances come in, and there are just two options, really. We're going to respond God's way or any other way, which is the wrong way. And these circumstances come in, and Solomon, first of all, begins in verse 13. He says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. The choice for a merry heart affects your countenance 
And while countenance may mean something else in other contexts, the context of the word always determines the usage of the word. And it just simply has to do with your face. And Solomon is saying on a surface level, listen, how you handle that is going to affect your countenance. So it's, it's going to affect what other people see. And that is a concern that, that should be of a concern to kings, but also a concern because people oftentimes will read our face, won't they? They'll read our countenance. And so Solomon says, be concerned about that. Now, when we talk about heart, we always know, obviously, it's the mind, the will, and emotions. It is that decision-making factor. Sometimes the word heart is used synonymously with the word soul and spirit in the Old Testament. We just understand it in our concept as a mindset. You know, when you make a decision, you make it with your heart, don't you? And you, it is that mindset, so to speak, that decision-making factor in man. And I'm glad that we can make a decision that we're not just left up to circumstances, but we can make that choice. And that heart, he says in verse 13, has made the choice to be cheerful or to be merry. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. It has made the choice to be merry. Uh, the word merry there just has the idea, you know, it is the idea of joy. It has made the choice to rejoice, to be glad, to take pleasure. That's what the choice to be merry is, to take pleasure in it. I even like one synonym of the word merry there, and that is to celebrate. And I don't know about you, but I like to celebrate things, don't you? Uh, Brother Weiss and I were talking yesterday. He has six boys. I've got six boys as well. My boys play some basketball. They do other things. Uh, and they like to celebrate, and I like to celebrate with them. When we have birthday parties at our house, we don't invite all the neighborhood and all of that, but we make a big deal out of it. And I like to celebrate, and Solomon is saying, God is saying, really, you know, when those circumstances come into your life, here's a tack to take, here's a way to think, and that is to celebrate them. And I believe, Brother Bradshaw, we can celebrate them because we recognize that there's a God that only ever has our good intent in those things that he brings into our life. And they don't come in without his allowance. Isn't that right? And so that's choice, that, is, that is a cause to celebrate. You know, though those situations could lead to other mindsets, Solomon urges that. And the choice for joy in heart will ultimately affect your face, won't it? It ultimately will affect your countenance, what other people see. You know, what is on the inside will come out. Isn't that true? Jesus said as much in Matthew 15, out of the heart of man, he said, proceed all of these different actions, all of these different behaviors, and what is on the inside certainly will come out. And when you make the heart choice to celebrate in unfavorable circumstances, it shows. Now, let me just say, this is not, this is not PMA bootstrap business, is it? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, work yourself into that choice of joy. What we've got to understand as believers is, listen, the choice for joy is a spiritual decision, isn't it? Can I just remind you here this morning, Galatians 5.22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You have to understand, my friends, that the choice for joy, that the Holy Spirit of God, and we understand what the fruit of the Spirit is, don't we? That fruit is what, the, what God the Holy Spirit is continually trying to work in us. Fruit, you know, I preach it to our church like this, that the fruit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you plant a plum tree, you're going to get some plums. You get apples, something plum wrong with that apple tree, amen. And if you've got the Holy Spirit on, in, on, on the inside of you, if you're genuinely born again, then that fruit will come out. And if it doesn't come out, something's bad wrong. 
And so this is the evidence of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. And all of our lives, the Holy Spirit is trying to, trying to make us into creatures of love. And why is he doing that? Because God, God is a God of love, isn't he? We know there are other things involved, but we also know that God is a loving God. I mean, when we uh, go to the perfections of God or the attributes of God and we see that God is a God of love, I'm grateful that he can share that attribute with us but we recognize as God is a God of love, and we also should recognize God as a God of joy, which is an amazing thought to me because when you consider who God is and what this world is, the natural reaction to what this world is should be anything but joy. Am I right? Could you imagine, just for a second, it's kind of ridiculous, that if you were the creator of the world and man and everything in it, and you, were to, and you created it in perfection and you looked down upon it, it seems to me like the most natural reaction to that would be anything but joy, anything but love, and yet we know that God so loved the world, that world of mankind that is sinful and wicked and ungodly, that He gave His only begotten Son. God demonstrated that love, and God as well demonstrates joy. He is a joyous God. It's a spiritual response to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You've got to understand that when you go through that difficulty, what God the Holy Spirit is saying to you is have joy. And we can have joy because we have a sovereign God. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that cares about us. And a God that wants to do something good in our lives through that. And so we can have joy. We've got those two options to do. And Solomon said, first of all, understand that the choice for joy affects your face. Now, in our church, we've got a little girl about five years old. Her name is Chloe Norris. She doesn't know who her daddy is. Uh, her mama just got baptized about, well, I think she got baptized about three weeks ago. Uh, her father, Philip Norris, and, mo and mom were in our church. He died from complications with COVID. She's... Uh, uh, that family has gone through a, a terrible, terrible situation. But Chloe Norris, when she comes into the Bible Baptist Church in Sepulpa, she comes in, and you would think that that girl owns the world. I mean, she comes in, she's got long blonde hair, and usually she's falling asleep. Their family drives about 45 minutes to get to our church. She usually falls asleep, and she comes into church with that, I just fell asleep in the car hairdo. I mean, it's going everywhere. Sometimes she's got chocolate or whatever she's been eating on smeared on her face. And she'll walk into the church house there and kind of swing the front door open. And it's just like she comes in thinking, here I am, everybody. I know you've been waiting for me. <laughs> and she has a very joyous countenance. Now, I'm not encouraging you to come into church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. If you go to your church on Wednesday night, open up the door and say, Here I am, everybody. I know you've been waiting for me. I wouldn't really advise that. But I love that attitude, don't you? That spirit. It is a spirit of joy. Notice with me in verse 15, the latter part of it. Not only does the decision for joy in our heart affect our countenance, which matters, our face, but it also affects our focus. Now he said in verse 15, the latter part, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Now what's that talking about? All right, so you've made the decision to have a merry heart. An unfavorable circumstance comes into your life, Solomon would be saying, and you make the decision to have a joyous heart, to celebrate this event, to have joy. You make that spiritual decision well, here is then what you get from making that decision. I believe what he's trying to intimate there is that you walk through life like it is a continual feast. I, I put it in my notes like this, that when you make the choice for joy, life 
is a buffet. Some of you woke up when I said that, didn't you? Now, in our town of Sepulpa, we don't live in a very big town. I don't have a, it's not a very big town there. We really only have one buffet in our town. It is Hugh Yong Chinese Buffet. I'm not sure what Hugh Yong means in Chinese. I think probably it is the, the translation would be vomit. I think maybe it's the sound that you make if you actually eat there. You know, I don't know. But fortunately, we live, we're a suburb of Tulsa, and Tulsa has a, a gym. I think maybe it's, a, uh, it's just a godly place. Golden Corral. You walk into Golden Corral, and, and, and you can walk into Golden Corral, and they've, got, and they've got a wonderful salad bar there with all of the fixings there. And you can walk in there and they've got someone frying up steak, someone uh, uh, grilling up steaks for you. You can go get breakfast there at Golden Corral. And you can, go get, you can go get fried eggs. You can go get healthy food. You can go get all of those things. You just walk into Golden Corral. And I mean, uh, you know, those six boys, Brother Weiss, we walk in there and those six boys are like, you know, I, I don't know if heaven's going to be like Golden Corral. I don't think really, Brother Smith, it's not going to be like Golden Corral. But for those six boys that go in there, it's like heaven. It's about as close as they're going to get right here on earth. They walk into that thing and they start smelling those smells. We gather at the table, they get our drink order, and then we pray. And then, I mean, it is like go forth and conquer right there. And they're walking through and none of the boys, they all avoid the salad bar, but they go right to all of that other kind of healthy food. And I mean, as a parent, it's almost a thing of joy to watch them. They're going there and I mean, uh, you know, for the little ones, you've got to walk with them because they'll be sticking their hands in the mashed potatoes and all of that. And they'll just go through and they'll eat and they'll pick and they get all of that and they come down there. And by the time mom and I get our plate and sit down there, they're all ready for the second round. You know what that is? That's a bunch of boys that are walking through Golden Corral just seeing all of the different things there and eating it up and loving it. And Solomon says, you know, when you make the choice for joy, when you obey the Holy Spirit, I said, when you obey the Holy Spirit and that circumstance comes into your life, but you choose rather than look at it through any other lens, you choose to look at it through the lens of God's sovereignty, through the lens of God's goodness to you, through the lens of God's uh, wanting to do something. When you choose to look at it through that, instead of seeing poison, instead of seeing difficulty, instead of seeing all of the negative things that you could see, you see a buffet. And you can't wait to eat those things up. When you make the choice for joy, it affects your focus. You don't see those things as things to be avoided. You see those things as things to get all you can out of it. Just like at a buffet. It affects your face. It affects your focus. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, of course, Philippians is a prison epistle, isn't it? While he's not in a, a bad you know, not in a terrible place necessarily. Uh, Paul still continually made that choice to rejoice. Here's a man who, if anybody ever had a reason to have a bad attitude and to fuss with God about the stuff that God brought into his life, it had to be the Apostle Paul, didn't it? And yet he wrote that Philippian ch church that was, you know, in that little Rome. That's what Philippi was, was a little Rome. And he said to them, 
Listen, make that choice for rejoice. You'll never regret it. Make the choice to rejoice. Rejoice in all of those things. And again, I say rejoice. James said it himself. He said it wonderfully, didn't he? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work. Let God get every ounce of what he wants to do in your life through that. And you'll thank him for it later. Listen, the choice for joy is a spiritual choice based upon obedience to the Holy Spirit. But notice with me in our text as well, verse 13, that not choosing joy. Now, I lost my clock here, so I don't know if that means I'm out of time, over time, whatever. Not Because I'm conscious of it, all right? I've been put in fear by the man of God, all right? Not choosing joy leads to bad brokenness and the bundling of burdens. All right, look at verse 13. So, right, so a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart. All right, what is sorrow of the heart? That is the circumstances come into your life, but instead of choosing joy, you choose to sorrow over it, be grieved over it, to let it be heavy. Again, this is not positive mental attitude stuff. This is a response to the Holy Spirit trying to infuse joy into our lives. It's so important that you get that. This is not lemons. It's not lemonade out of lemons. This is a higher level, my friends. This is obedience to the very Spirit of God. <clears throat> but when you choose to look at that circumstance through sorrow, and it's so easy and it's so natural to do that, isn't it? It's our first response usually. When you choose to look at that circumstance and, and have sorrow of the heart. Now we would admit, wouldn't we, th this morning that when something happens, that usually is the first thing that happens to us. We don't, we don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that most Christians that I don't know are so spiritual that when something terrible happens, you know, they immediately thank the Lord. You know, we'll shed a tear, it breaks our heart, it hurts us. Fortunately, I think we go to that place soon to where we, we, we understand to thank the Lord. But this person here, Solomon, saying, listen, son, you can make the choice to either have joy or to let that thing affect you. Let it cause sorrow of the heart to shape your heart, to break you. Now, we know that there's a good kind of brokenness, that a broken and contrite spirit, God loves that, doesn't he? But that is not what he is talking about there. When you choose sorrow over the heart, you have excluded God from that circumstance. And all you can see is the circumstance. And it is hovering over you and covering you. And it will suffocate you if you let it. He said, by sorrow over the heart, the spirit is broken. We know again that word spirit sometimes is translated. Uh, you know, the idea, at least contextually for spirit there, would have to do with that part of, the, that part of you that God speaks to. That soul, that spirit, that heart. Literally, you walk through life being a broken-hearted Christian. You've got them in your assembly. I do too. There's some people that never do get over the things that God has allowed into their lives. They know, never do get over the sinful choices that they've made and the repercussions that happen because of those sinful choices. They can't see God working good through that circumstance. And they live their lives, all of their lives like that. We have a wonderful lady in our church. I try my hardest. She's the hardest person in our church to love. 
I literally will preach sometimes and she'll sit in the back row with her arms crossed and not shake her head like that. There have been so many times when I just want to be preaching, you know, and accidentally lose my Bible and thump her right in the head. I can't convince myself that's a loving choice, though. You know what? Unfortunately, she's made the choice to view a circumstance that in her case happened 20 years ago through that lens of sorrow. And she tries to be cheerful, but she tries in vain. And Solomon said, God said, listen, you make that choice for sorrow and it will break you. It'll break you down. What's the choice for sorrow? Well, you mull it over. As a pastor, you view maybe those new members that come in through the lens of these members that hurt you. You mull it over. Or I like this terminology, uh, you pick at it. You pick at it. You just keep picking at it. You know, Brother Weiss, you know, from having, having six boys, boys have terrible habits, don't they? We had three girls and then we had six boys, just like that. The three girls are angels. <laughs> the problem, really problem is the, boy, the six boys are all like their dad. And I just think, why did I do that to my mom? God is getting me back. They have terrible habits. The worst habit, you know, all of my, I'm just saying right now, all little boys pick their nose. Am I right about that? We don't want to know about little girls that do, okay? But the worst habit that my sons have the Kuzel is they pick at scabs. I hate that. That is so gross. My boy Jared's 13 years old. He's kind of growing out of it. But Jared is that kid. I mean, he could be out there playing. Five minutes later, he comes in. He's got, a, he's got, you know, he's got blood coming out of his knee or his elbow or from his chin or something like that. He's had a bike rack or they were playing football and somebody rubbed him across the chain link fence. And he'll get a scab. And Jared, you watch him. He'll be sitting there reading a book. And I watch him and I say, Jared, stop that boy. Five minutes later. You know what? When you, and my mama used to say, you know, scabs are nature's band-aids. She was not a band-aid hander outer. You let that thing air, you let that thing breathe a little while and it'll scab over. It'll be okay. It's blood squirt, squirting. You know, when you pick a scab, then you risk infection, don't you? You pick a scab, it'll start to bleed again. You risk infection. You pick a scab over and over and over, you know what's going to happen? It's going to leave a scar. Can I just say to you pastors, that family that did something to you, that associate that you had that stabbed you in the back, that brother preacher that stabbed you in the back, that brother that hung you out to dry, can I just give you a word of an admonition here this morning? You keep picking at that thing and you view everybody through that lens. You know what's going to happen? It's going to infect your heart. You'll get to the point to where that you view everything through that lens of sorrow. You pick that thing long enough, it's going to leave a scar and you'll have it all your life. Listen, it'll lead to bad brokenness. But then notice what else Solomon said. Look at it in verse number 15. In verse number 15, he said, all the days of the afflicted are evil. When you choose to view that circumstance as something that is an affliction, bad, 
all the days of the afflicted, all of the people that make that choice. You know, we know it's a choice because it's contrasted with the choice of a merry heart in verse 15. We understand it's a choice, don't we? It's contrasted with a choice, so that means viewing circumstances as an affliction is a choice as well. And he said, all the days of the afflicted are evil. In other words, when you make that choice to view that circumstance, whatever it might be, listen, it might be something someone did to you. It might be something that you do yourself, a, a, a battle that you have that you just can't get victory over. It's a habit or something that you do and you think, good night, I, I, you know, I've been saved for 20 some odd years, I ought to be able to get over that thing, but I just don't get over it. Before too long that weighs you down and weighs you down and weighs you down. And you can only see life maybe through that failure that you demonstrate in your life. You choose to see it as an affliction. It's an affliction, it's a sorrow, it's a recompense maybe even from God. And you view it like that. Then Solomon says, God says, then when you view it like that, here's what you can view your days as, evil. In other words, when you view that circumstance, that unfavorable circumstance, as a bad thing, he's just reiterating what he's already said. All, all you can see is bad. It's just bad. You know, I mentioned to you that. Now, our town of Sepulpa, 25,000 people in that town, we've got more homeless people there now than we have in years. All of our homeless people in Sepulpa are just flaming crazy, though. When you stop at a stoplight, you've got to roll up your windows because you don't know what you're going to hear from them. But you go to Tulsa, they've got, you know, the people in Tulsa that are homeless are somewhat tame as compared to the ones in Sepulpa. We get all the crazies. I can guarantee you that. But you know what I've noticed about homeless people, and I'm not necessarily making fun of them. It's just an illustration, all right? You know what I've noticed about homeless people? First of all, the shopping cart of choice is Dollar General. They're yellow. I think the Pertner brothers, I think the Pertner got racing stripes on them. They like that, you know, I think if I was a homeless person, I'd choose Dollar General carts too. They're nice and yellow. They're pretty. You need a little sunshine in your life if you're homeless, amen. They've got that Dollar General shopping cart. And you know what I've noticed about them? Most of the people that are homeless, I think, are engineers. Here's why I think that. Because they can stick more stuff in that cart than I've ever seen, <laughs> than even a wife can. They can put more stuff in that shopping cart than some of you can put in your garage, huh? our storage facility. You, you see some of these homeless people in Tulsa, and they've got this dollar, I'm not sure what the dimensions are on that Dollar General shopping cart. But they've got that lower, that lower deck is filled up to the top. Some of them, I've even seen them, they've got plywood on the sides of it there. And they're putting stuff, they don't even know what they've got in there. But they'll have that shopping cart and here's this, you know, here'll be a 130 pound uh, homeless woman pushing that shopping cart. And she's, you know, giving it her all. And that shopping cart that's about this tall otherwise... Sometimes that thing will be clear over her head. And you know how it comes to that? You know how they get to that? They'll drive, I guess they go borrow permanently a shopping cart, and they'll walk by and they'll see something and say, mm, I want that in my cart, and they'll put it in their cart. And they'll go along and they see something else and they'll put that in their cart. And before too long, that shopping cart is about that tall. And mm, mm, mm. I mean, they're getting a workout, which is a good thing, I guess. But you know what happens when you, pastor, friend, church member, begin to view life and those circumstances 
as an affliction. You know what you're basically doing? You're walking through life with your shopping cart. This circumstance, what this person said, putting it in there. Brother Smith didn't shake my hand this Sunday, putting it in there. Brother Weiss did this, putting it in there. Brother Preacher did this. Hey, my preacher friend, it was my birthday and he didn't call me or whatever. Sometimes that's about as petty as it is, isn't it? And then come to my meeting I hosted. This, 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 this. And before too long, you're pushing around a burden, listen, that God never intended you to. Why? Because you won't obey the Holy Spirit and make not a simple choice. It's hard to, to put off that flesh and make the choice for joy. But listen to me. When you make the choice for joy, it affects your countenance. It affects your face. It affects your focus. And the only other option we're presented here is you bundle, your, you have a bad kind of a brokenness. And you bundle burdens. And you're pushing around a shopping cart full of burdens that God never intended you to do. Right, let's stand. I know we're, we're not doing invitation, but I want you to stand. Maybe you can get ready for the song. Go to Hebrews 12 with me, if you will. Hebrews 12. Let me say to you this morning as well, I am sorry for all of the burdens in ministry. I've only been pastor of our church. I was missionary for five years, pastor of our church for ten years. I've not been long in the game, but I know enough to know this, that, boy, sometimes there's some terrible burdens in the ministry, aren't there? And I'm sorry that there are, but I know this, that the choice that I need to make is the same choice you need to make, and that is the choice for joy. And one of the great reasons we need to make that is because that is the choice Jesus makes. Look at Hebrews 12, where the writer says, Wherefore, seeing we are all so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Now different people have different opinions about what that joy was. Was that the saved? Was that doing the Father's will? I don't know, but I know this, that our Savior looked past the circumstances, the unfavorable circumstances of his, of his human life to see the joy that was before him. And he who did that gives you and I the power to do it as well. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention.